This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. I am one of the pastors here, and I lead uh, Peakhurst Gospel Community with my wife Catherine and one of the uh, church planning residents here as well. And I want to say I'm really, really, really excited uh, to open up this series for us, 90,000 Hours, The Beauty and Purpose in Work. And uh, as James mentioned, 90,000 Hours is about the uh, amount of time that an average worker will work over their lifetime. That's over 54% of your waking hours. That's a significant amount of time. Over 54% of your waking hours, on average, will be spent at work. Now, that number is not including all of the unpaid work that you do. It's not including the travel to work, the travel from work. It's not including all the time that the moms and dads have and, and, and the carers have at home. It doesn't include the stuff that we need to do around the house, the weekend volunteer soccer coaches, and the yard work, and the vacuuming, and the laundry, and everything else that we need to do at home, the helping with the homework, all the pro bono work, the volunteer work that we do. That number is not including any of that. And so this number really skyrockets when we think about everything, all the work that we have to do. The changing of nappies, the laundry, the dishes. I mean, you, you get it. I got, I got kids. It's crazy how much laundry there is. But on average, when we think about paid work, we're looking at about 90,000 hours. And so we want to take the next six weeks here at Anchor to invite the Holy Spirit into that. We want to invite the Holy Spirit to shape our view, our theology, our practice of work. What does it look like? to be shaped by the scriptures when we think about our work. Because whether you realize it or not, we're all carrying a story. We're all carrying a narrative as to how we engage in our work. The question isn't, are you thinking about work? The question is, how are you thinking about work? The question is, where are you getting your cues? Where are you getting your script, as it were, as to how you are to think and behave, be, at your workplace, because we're either going to be shaped by uh, sort of maybe a, a toxic uh, culture uh, that says basically that the purpose of work is to not work, right? Life goals, hashtag life goals, is that we won't ever have to set another alarm in our life. So the purpose of work becomes to not work. Or, uh, uh, rather, a, a Christian subculture says, really, work doesn't matter. All that matters is that you would work to give money to, to missionaries or you would just go to work just to share the gospel with people. All those things are, are good, but, but they miss the mark. If that is all work is, that misses the mark. And we want to have a rich and robust biblical theology of work. What does it look like? to go to work, to work in such a way where Jesus is king. What does that look like for us? What does it look like to say, yes, I follow Jesus, and therefore, this is the way I think about, this is the way I engage in with my work. What does it look like to work as someone who has Jesus as a friend? What does it look 
to live under the lordship of Jesus as we engage with our 90,000 hours. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at six topics. The first one today is the beauty of work. What does that look like? Uh, Next week, we're looking at work and the curse. We understand maybe that's how we first approach work, which it's a burden, it's a curse. Uh, Then we're going to be looking at the work of rest. It's looking at Sabbath practices and rhythms. We're going to be looking at work and career, calling, vocation, The giving of work, what does it look like to be a generous worker? And then finally, work and the Museo Dei, work and the mission of God. What does it look like to work in such a way that we are always having in our purview what God is doing in the world, first and foremost, before what we are called to do in the world? And so I'm really expectant for what God is going to do as we seek to build a foundation here at Anchor as to what it looks like to live out of our identity in Christ as we work. And I want to acknowledge from the front here that uh, what I'll be saying here today isn't everything that I want to say about work. We're going to have six weeks here, and I'm going to be, what I want to do is lay a foundation for the beauty of work before we look at how work has been broken in the world. And so a lot of us may feel some quite, quite a bit of dissonance maybe with what I'm going to say, but I, I want you to hold on to that because what we're doing is we're, we're looking underneath. We, we want to really build a solid foundation. So often, even when we think about our faith, we, we think about it as if the Bible starts in Genesis 3. And we'll say things like, before we get to the good news, we need to talk about the bad news. And that's true. But before the bad news happens, let me tell you, there is good news. There is a good creator. There is a good creation. And that's what I want to zone in on today. I want us to be infected with a greater story about work and our lives. And so we're going to take the next 30 to, I don't know, maybe 90 minutes. I'm not really sure how it's going to go. I'm led by the Spirit. And uh, to look at this, um, but before we do that, let me pray. And then, uh, then I'll start my introduction. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have not left us as orphans. We thank you that you're a good father. We thank you that you look at us with tenderness and care this morning. Whatever we came in with, uh, whatever, uh, however we've missed the mark, however we have not done the things that we uh, should have done or have done the things we shouldn't have done, you look at us this morning with tenderness, with eyes filled with love. And so, Jesus, I pray now, because of that, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people this morning and help me to remember the things that will be. And we pray all these things so that those who are far may come near and those who are near will be built up in you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if uh, I were to ask you, how do you react on Sunday nights? What does is, what is your body say? But before I ask what your mind is thinking, what do you feel on Sunday night when you're gearing up for work the next day? What, what's happening under, under the hood? Is there some anxiety there? Are you excited? Are you worried? Are you dreading? Are you expectant? Are you bored? Are you wired for work? Because so often our bodies will tell us things that our minds have not caught up to. And I just wonder if you take a moment to think about what is it that I will be feeling in six hours, seven hours as I gear up to go to work tomorrow. 
Gallup surveyed about a hundred, sorry, a a quarter of a million people um, over 141 countries, and they asked them about their job satisfaction. And and these were the numbers that came back. 13% of people said they were satisfied. 13% of people said they were truly satisfied overall with their work. 63% of people said they were not engaged with their work. The vast majority of people in the survey said they were not engaged whatsoever in their work. And about a quarter of them, 24%, said they were actively disengaged. I'm not sure what that looks like, but what that sounds like is that they hate their work. A quarter of, those, uh, of the quarter of a million people who were asked hate their work. But for the mass majority of us, the, the, the vast majority, uh, we're just going through the motions. We're just going through the nine to five. We don't really feel or sense a, a purpose beyond maybe what our secular narrative gives us, that we're to work for the weekends or, we're to, or if you move to the suburbs, we're to work for the house and, and the spouse and the dog and the perfect kids and the lawn. What is it that is fueling our vision? Why is it that the vast majority of us are just not engaged with our work. We have no sense of purpose, no sense of vision, no sense that this is good for us even. And that may even sound weird to you. Maybe this is the first time you're here and you think work cannot equal good because vacations are good. Contiki tours, that's what I'm living for, right? That's good. Going, you know, to, to, I, I saw a YouTube video this week where this guy, amazing, he went to see the seven wonders of the world in seven days. Like, that's what life is about. Dr. Timothy Keller says this, work, this is going to shock some of you, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine but food for our soul. What? Like with all due respect, Dr. Keller, but I would not consider my job food for my soul. Maybe poison for my body or my mind or my schedule or my relationships, but food for my soul? No, I don't count that as food for my soul. But I want to say here today that work is intrinsically good. Work is is intrinsically beautiful and necessary. And I think we we need to answer this one question. How is it that we're going to recover the beauty and the purpose in work? How is it? What do we need to do? What needs to happen in this room and as we go out where we can recover a beautiful and purposeful vision for our 90,000 Hours. So I want to take us to three places. And by the end of this, you're all going to be Hebrew scholars, by the way. One, we need to recover the origin of work. We need to recover the origin of work. Two, we need to rediscover the beauty of work, which is lost on a lot of us, understandably so in the world we live in. And number three, we need to reimagine the purpose of work. So we need to recover the origin, we need to rediscover the beauty, and we need to reimagine the purpose. Come with me. One, Yahweh as worker. Now, Yahweh is the personal name of God that he gives to Moses in the book of Exodus. 
And so, uh, quick, quick Bible lesson here. When you're in the Old Testament and you read the word Lord, and it's in all capital letters, Yahweh is what that's communicating, his personal name. So when Moses asks uh, God, Yahweh, who should I say sent me? God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And this is the name, Yahweh. Yahweh is a worker. And when you go to Genesis 1, you, you find all this beautiful craftsmanship language that God creates and he forms and he molds. And in Genesis 2, you have uh, Yahweh, this God who gets down uh, on his knees, as it were, and, and says that he molds humanity out of dirt. He is a worker. First and foremost, the first thing we see God doing is working in the scriptures. He's a worker. Yahweh is a worker. And uh, last year, um, I went to uh, Jordan and Israel on a tour with James Dawson, actually, just before he started working here at Anchor. And we went to a lot of places. I mean, it was, it was a jam-packed schedule, 14 or 15 days. I can't remember what it was. Um, I forgot most of it. That's a lot of money spent. But uh, I remember one place specifically. And I remember this place because all throughout the study tour, there was a saying by the tour guides and the lecturers and the, all the professionals there, uh, if not here, then near. And so we would go down to the Jordan River and we would say, is this exactly where Jesus was baptized? Well, if not here, then near. If it's not here, then maybe it's a kilometer this way or 300 meters that way. But there was one place, one place where everyone was so sure 99.9% .9 sure that this is the place that Jesus worked. Now, it's a, it's a place called Sephoris. It's not mentioned in the scriptures. Uh, but people are, are absolutely certain that those very stones, that very city, is where Jesus walked and worked as a stonemason and as a carpenter. And when I heard that, man, I took off my shoes. I went for, everyone was following the, the, the tour guide. I'm like... Glory was here. Like God incarnate walked these stones. I'm, you go on to the next site. I want to hang. Taking pictures of my ugly feet. It was great. But it's interesting that when God decided to come down in the person of Jesus, he worked as a carpenter, as a stonemason. He worked wielding a hammer with his dad for 20 plus years before he burst up on the scene as the Messiah. That is incredible that God would choose to become incarnate, to come in flesh to work, to earn a living. And so Yahweh is a worker. And because of that, humanity is a worker. I want to read to you again Genesis 2. Excuse me. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, which, by the way, literally means delight. The word Eden means delight. So Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Delight to work it and keep it. And I want you to notice one very, very, very simple uh, observation here, that this is in Genesis 2. So this idea of work 
that work is intrinsically evil and comes after the fall is false. Because here we have before anything enters into the created order, there is work in a beautiful garden, in Eden. And these two words, work uh, and keep, have these connotations of, of, work has the connotation of serve, not work it like a slave master, the way that we have often in our industries have often raped and pillaged the earth. It's not work it till it's death, it's serve it so that we can arrange the world in such a way that leads to flourishing. We are to serve but also we are to keep, we are to protect. This, this word means to, to, to protect, to keep it, to tend to it, to love it as a gift. And so work intrinsically from the very beginning, from the absolute beginning of humanity's time on earth was meant to serve and to protect. And so we choose careers, we choose jobs that can... Um, Help us and help those around us to flourish because Yahweh is a worker and so are we. So we need to recover the origin of work, but we need to rediscover the beauty of work. And I'm going to put you to work here now. Up here is the word tov in Hebrew. Now tov is a word that is repeated over and over and over again in Genesis 1. It happens in Genesis 1, 4 and 10 and 12 and 18 and 25. And in 31, there's this very tov. In Spanish, mucho tov. It's my own translation. And, and we so often get this idea of God in the Old Testament sort of creating a, you know, kind of all calm and collected, and, and he's sort of just looking back like, like an art sort of a, a, a critic and sort of, oh, this is good. Yeah, it's good. That's good. It's good. Very good even. That's not the picture I get. See, I grew up in Brooklyn where there were rap battles all the time, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a rap battle or you've seen one. Maybe, maybe not. But when a cipher happens, when a rap battle happens, right, and it just goes off. It goes, people go crazy, right? I, I want to show you what this could look like. Roll it. You see that? That is what's happening in Genesis 1. So when you go back and you read it, it's, it's not this sort of cool and collected and sort of distant God who's creating. No, no, this is, this is God and the angels and the council saying, yo, this is crazy. This is beautiful. This is mucho tov. This is amazing. That's the picture I get when I read in Genesis that God creates things that are tov, that are beautiful, that are good, that are desirable. And he puts man in a garden called delight. That's the picture of God in creation going crazy over what is created, rejoicing over it. And because he rejoices over his work, now we get the opportunity to rejoice in our work. I perceived, Ecclesiastes 3 says, 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. That word, tov, to do good is there. 
harking back for us in our imagination what's happening in Genesis 1. And the writer of Ecclesiastes adds this other word, shamak. I told you, you'd all be Hebrew scholars by the end of today. Shamak meaning jubilation, joy, this, this sort of overflowing, just exuberance. That is how we are guided. That, that is how we are told we should experience work. And everyone here is like, not me, bro. That, that's not my experience of Tov and Shamak. And, and I think so often we don't experience even glimpses of that because we have lost the vision, the beauty, and the purpose of original work, of why it was created, of how good it is, not only for our bodies but for our minds. And I get it. Listen, I get it. I'm, I'm in a job right now that I find is soul-giving and it's flourishing. It's, it's, it's been an amazing couple years here on staff. But there were years, 10 plus years, in fact, that I was in a job that I felt was soul-destroying and soul-crushing. And I couldn't find beauty. I couldn't find purpose. And towards the end, I began to recover this vision that God is a worker that he has called us to partner with him, to join him in that work, to bring Tov to the world, to bring Shemak into the world. And so not only do we need to recover the origin of work, that Yahweh is a worker, God is a worker, we need to rediscover the beauty of work, but finally, we need to reimagine the purpose of work. Now for this, we need to stand back a bit. And look at the, the, the whole creation narrative. What is happening there? What is happening when God says, let there be light and there is light? And when God separates the light from the darkness? And when God uh, uh, fills uh, the void of the earth with vegetation and beasts of the field and humanity and, and, and the void of the sky with stars? What, what's happening there? What is God doing? And so I want to step back and, and look at the context of Genesis as a whole. Where? Uh, because what we need to understand is that this Bible here did not just drop out of heaven, calf skinned with my name embossed on it in gold. It's dope, but it just didn't come this way. <laughs> there, there, there was a cognitive environment, there was a framework in that time that, that there were other stories happening around the nation of Israel. And I believe they were aware of those stories. And the scriptures, I believe, are the Holy Spirit-inspired, correct version of the true story of the world. But when we look at these other versions, they help us understand some things. This is one of the things they help us understand. Is that in the ancient Near East, where the scriptures come out of, where the Old Testament comes out of, what, would, what, what a king would do is that they would build a temple or, or sort of uh, what, what, what uh, they would do, they'd build a temple and then they would put their images in that temple to represent them. They would conquer nations, they would conquer areas to mimic the gods and then they would put their images in there to represent them, to mediate their presence. See, this is what's happening in Genesis 1 and 2. God is building a cosmic temple. The world is his temple. And then he puts humanity in there as his what? His image bearers to mediate his presence. 
And so what we need to understand is that the purpose of God's work is his presence. You get that? The purpose of God's work in the first place, the, the reason why he opened up his mouth, he didn't need to do this. The reason why he opened up his mouth and stars come flying out and, and quasars come out and supernovas come out and, and, and everything forms. The reason why that happens is because he wants to build a space where he can be present with humanity. He can be present with humanity. So God's purpose is presence, and our purpose then, as his image bearers, is to extend that presence. And so as you go to work, as you go home and make a home and raise children and change nappies, and as you, you work in your several fields of, of medicine and engineering, and as students go to, to, uh, to lectures, what we are doing, your purpose is to mediate God's presence, to extend his presence into the world. God worked in order to create a cosmic temple where he can meet with us. We work so that we can extend that presence to others. That is the purpose of our work. is an extension of what he is doing. In a world where we are told we need to look within for our purpose and our meaning and our direction, I don't know about you, this is a breath of fresh air. This is a weight off because my work is an extension of his to mediate his presence. And it's more than this. It's more than just working a job to make some money to give to some missionaries. We should all do that. It's more than just making a job to provide for our families. The scriptures say, yes, we should do that. It's more than, and it's definitely more than just working just to get the car and the house and whatever it is, it's more than. This is what you need to see about yourself. You are made in the image of God. You were created to mediate his presence wherever you are. That is the purpose of work. So often we cut ourselves from that vision. And that's why I don't want to stand up here and just give you five fresh tips on how to be a better Christian at work. That may be helpful somewhere. But I want to infect you with this grand vision of what God is doing in the world so that we can live out of a dramatically different story. If you've been lacking a sense of motivation or purpose or even if at this point you just can't see how ever you could experience beauty and joy at work. Maybe, maybe it's because we have cut ourselves off. You have cut yourself off from the originator of work, the grand worker. Maybe it's because you are trying to live out of this story while still being beholden by the story of our secular culture. Maybe you have two foots, two, two, one foot in each camp, where you're trying to serve Jesus, but you're trying to serve the God of self-fulfillment, where you're trying to serve Jesus, but you're trying to serve the God of, I really care what they think about me, and so I just need to do what I need to do at work in order to fit in. And maybe we've lost that vision of what God wants to do in us and through us. 
And he's calling you now to a better story, the story where the grand worker becomes a created being, where God becomes incarnate in Christ, where the one who Psalm 33 says opens his mouth and stars come out, to the, 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 the one that's, that says in Isaiah 40 that he holds the universe in the span of his hand. Do you get that? Do you get that the, the, the God of the universe, the one who says that he lives in you by the Holy Spirit, if you love Jesus, holds the universe in the span of his hand. And he calls you now to partner with him. He's the God who has come to be hung on a cross that he created, on wood that he fashioned, so that he can die a traitor's death. That is the story I'm calling you into. I'm not calling you to shift a few rhythms. I'm not calling you to just do two new things to make your life better. I'm calling you to a radically different way of life. Not only a way of thinking, but a radically different way of life that will absolutely transform the way you engage your 90,000 hours. I want to invite you into this eternal life. And maybe eternal life for us has been pitched in a future tense simply, where eternal life is something that happens when we die or when Jesus comes back, whichever one comes first. Eternal life starts now. We enter into this life as we give ourselves to Jesus, as the narrative of the scriptures begin more and more and more to shape the way we view the world. As we turn our backs on the ways that we have sought to justify ourselves, to make ourselves right by the way we look or, what we, or how we dress or how we eat or what we drive or who we're with or what kind of job we hold down. When we stop justifying ourselves and we look to Jesus, the maker who became made, the worker who was worked on the cross, we enter in this eternal life. And one of the ways that we begin, one of the ways we express this eternal life is talking to our dad, is, is talking to God. And so I want to invite us now, I'm going to lead us in a, a liturgy for those who are employed, a, a prayer together for us who are employed. And, and, and you, you don't need to repeat this, uh, but I'd love to give this to you as a gift. And I'd love for you in your hearts, or if you'd like to, you can, you can uh, say it out loud with me. But I'd love to give this to you as a gift, as words to use for those who want to use our 90,000 hours for more than what we've been sold. Oh Christ, who supplies my every need, I praise you for all provisions and for the means by which they are provided. For my current employment in this season of life, I give you thanks. By it, may I meet my own needs and contribute to the needs of others. Let me work and serve in this position with mindfulness, creativity, and kindness, loving you well by loving all whom I encounter here. Jesus, be ever present as mediator between me and my employer, between me and my supervisors and coworkers, and with all my dealings, excuse me, 
with others in this work, reminding me that my treatment of them, listen, that my treatment of them is the strongest evidence of my affection for you. May my presence here daily suggest your presence here. May that be our prayer. May, may my presence here at my work daily suggest your presence here. And may the outworking of the gospel be always evident in this, my work, that my service as an employee might be ever reckoned and received as service first rendered unto you, O Christ. Amen and amen. And I want to invite you into this beautiful story. I want to do something very special now. I want to do something different. So often, and we, we, we saw what we just did. We commissioned a gospel community, things that we, we should do. We, we commissioned Scotty and Ruth, our, uh, our friends and, and dear co-laborers in the gospel who are in the Philippines, missionaries. We, we, we will often commission uh, those things that we maybe see as some more, more religious and bent. But in these next six weeks, we want to commission you because you are a missionary. You are sent to your places of study and work and home. And so I'm going to ask you to do something a bit different, maybe something we, we don't do very often here, but I'm going to ask you for a bit of crowd participation. So if this fits you, I want you to come up to the front. And I don't want you to be afraid. You're not being judged here, but we want to commission you. We want to send you out in the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so if there are any moms and dads in this room, I'd love for you to come to the front. We want to commission you because your work is important. If there are any students any students here? Hands up. Students, I want you to come up, and we want to commission you. I'm going to come down, and I'm going to pray for you. Any creatives, any graphic designers, I want you to come up because we want to commission you. Any photographers, anyone working in those creative fields, actors. I know we have one comedian, so we want to commission you. There may be more, and maybe this is going to call out that gift in you. But I want us to now to get up and come down here. I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to pray for you. Now, I'm not as spruce as I used to be. I'm, I am going to jump down. If I get hurt, uh, there are doctors here, so. All right, let me pray for these guys. And so I, I want to speak to you. If you can all just stand maybe just here. Wow. There are a lot of students and creatives. Wow, this is amazing. And so I, I, I want to say this about, about these folks and the moms and the dads and, wow, this is, this is crazy. So I, and this is totally unorthodox. I'm really sorry, but I, I want to speak to these guys. I want to speak directly to them. So if you can come, I'm going to turn my back for just, just a moment. And I want you guys to know that we, we love you. And you are commissioned. You are sent into your places of work and study and creativity. God was the first scientist. He was the first builder. He was the first creator. He was the first artist. He was the first parent. And so I want you guys to know that you go to work as missionaries. You go to work as priests. You don't go to work living according to the, uh, you don't go home, you don't make your home according to the, the story, the narrative of this world, but you are sent out in the power and in the hope of the Holy Spirit that you would go out and that you would fulfill every single thing that he has planned for you. So can we guys, can we just lift our hands to these guys as I pray and we commission them.
Father, we thank you uh, for these beautiful men and women and children here. Thank you that you have not called us, you have not called them to a second tier kind of living, but you have called them to be the very people who carry your presence into their work, who carry your presence and your aroma into their, their homes, into the way that we speak to our children, into the way that we speak and interact with our coworkers, into the way that we interact with the culture there. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to know who we are first. Help us to be so secure that you know us and that you love us. That the pressure of having to conform is no longer there. And it is so weak that we can make decisions to follow you wherever we are. And so I pray for these men and women now that you would send them out, Lord, in the power and the grace and the hope of the Spirit, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We love you guys. Can we give them a hand, please? Now, it's going to be really embarrassing if I try to get up on the stage, so I'm going to finish from down here. And we, we want to do this for the, for the next six weeks. We, we want each and every single one of you to know that you are sent to wherever you are. We, we want you to know um, that, that you're loved and that you are seen as a missionary. You're not seen as second tier to any other profession or job. And so uh, to that end, we, we, want, we, we love creatives here. I mean, there was so many uh, up here and, and so many who serve us every week. Um, and so uh, uh, Steve Vassalo has written a song for us called Faith. And this is going to be a time now, we're going to enter into a time where we can just sit and we can reflect on what we've heard. Uh, there's going to be a time now for you to go to one of our four stations where you can engage with, with communion or the Lord's Supper. And uh, what we do there is that we remember uh, the maker's body broken for us. The, the original creator, the original artist, the original scientist who, whose body was broken for us. And we, we take that bread as a representation of that and we dip it into the juice as a, rep- a representation of the blood that flowed from Jesus' body as he hung from the cross. And so I want to invite you into that story. And if this is your first time and maybe you've been moved, I'd love to meet with you and pray for you and with you and to celebrate because if, if you saw that cipher, that rap battle, you see how those dudes were going crazy? When someone comes to Jesus, that's the kind of party that's happening in heaven. And so I want to invite you into that story. So let me pray and then I'll give it over to the band. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you you haven't left us or abandoned us. We are your children. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would make more your children in this room now. Draw them near, Holy Spirit, we pray. May they have an an encounter with you now. We ask and we plead with you. In Jesus' name, amen.